Sterling Sewell and welcome to the Watch and Learn podcast. Um, I'm a Kansas City native studying journalism here at the University of Missouri. I first got in the movies at a young age watching noir and Marx Brothers movies with my dad and my love for cinema kind of took off into foreign film and weird obscure movies from there. Um, my co-host is Ezra Bitterman. I'm from Los Angeles. I've just sort of been steeped in the film industry, and I'd also watch movies with my dad and sort of get into the obscure stuff, and I think uh, we just kind of bonded over that, and I uh, want to bring that to you guys. So, the Watch and Learn podcast is aims to show connect- in the intersections between two different movies every single episode, so it'll be, sometimes it'll be a newer movie, and then an older movie that is connected to the newer movie, like the new movie's like source material. So like today we're doing La La Land and Umbrellas of Shorberg. La La Land is heavily inspired by Umbrellas of Shorberg, so that's why we're doing that. And the podcast just aims to give listeners a greater understanding of how film lineage works, how films are connected to each other, the benefit of analyzing two films next to each other, and just overall strong film analysis is what we hope to bring to you and I'll let uh, Sterling tell you guys a little bit about our, our movies for today. Uh, so the first movie we watched was The Umbrellas of Sherberg, which is the 1964 musical romantic drama uh, written and directed by Jacques Demy. Um, the entire film is sung, uh, even the lyrics or like dialogue is sung. Um, it was nominated for five Academy Awards uh, including Best Foreign Language Film and Best Original Screenplay. It uh, follows a girl named Genevieve and her relationship with a boy named Guy. Um, Their relationship is somewhat disastrous as Guy has to go off to war in Algeria and Genevieve uh, is forced into a marriage to another character named Roland Kassari. The movie is split up into three chapters the departure, the absence, the return, all uh, woven into this kind of technicolor fairy tale um, musical. It's truly a great film. And now uh, Ezra's going to talk about La La Land a little bit. Yeah, so many of you have probably heard of La La Land. It came out in 2016. It was highly critically acclaimed, and it kind of uh, rebirthed the musical genre, um, and which, which had sort of been uh, dead for a long time, I think you could say. Um, and to do that, it drawed on a lot of these old genres like Umbrellas of Sherberg and Singing in the Rain and things like that. La La Land is written and directed by Damien Chazelle, who also did Whiplash, which is a completely different thing. Still, mu- still has music, but completely different vibe than La La Land. I'd highly encourage you guys to watch that. And it sort of takes it takes place in LA and it's about these two people trying to achieve their dreams. Mia wants to be an actress, Sebastian wants to start a jazz club, and we just sort of follow them going through the ebbs and flows of trying to make that happen and be a success. And at the end, I don't want to spoil it too much, but the end greatly resembles Umbrellas of Sherberg, which we'll get into. And yeah, I think we should just get right into the analysis. podcast. Um, so what movie do you want to discuss first here? So I was thinking we'd discuss uh, The Umbrellas of Sherberg first and then talk about La La Land and sort of like the intersection between them both and yeah. where they align. So Sherberg is great. It's a little Technicolor masterpiece, isn't it? Um, 
and the music's good. So my my whole thing is like it's a very it's a super depressing movie, right? Most depressing, but also you can laugh at it the whole time because like the characters are kind of zany, um, like especially the mom, and they live in this cheaply made but like candy shop of a world, right? Everything looks like it could get knocked over, but it like exudes sort of a happy feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. and I, it's, it's almost like uh, the story is sort of like that too, where, you know, at the beginning, she, you know, uh, she's in a love story with this guy, and they go on a few dates and they fall in love, and you're really happy for them, but at the end of the day, it's a really thin thing because they don't really know each other that well and he goes off to war and this sort of facade of love that they thought they were experiencing comes down when the harsh realities of life set in and um, I think the production design really lends itself to that yeah and it's got kind of a like it's a choice between like you know kind of puppy love kind of thing like childish love and like practicalities of reality like do I go with um, Guy or do I go with uh, Roland? Because, like, I gotta pick one. And I mean, this movie also kind of goes back and forth between, like, who's making decisions. Is, like, um, is the main girl making decisions or is Guy making decisions? And who's really the main character between the two? Um, who do you think's the main character? I mean, well, I was just thinking how it's interesting how. Um, Genevieve, you know, the main, the main character, yeah. or one of the, like, the, the, the main, um, woman, um, and Guy, how, I think it's just really interesting how Guy's not really present beyond the first part, part one, the departure, mm-hmm. um, and he's off at war, but even though he's not on this, in the screen, he's still, like, front of mind because so many of the scenes revolve around him, you know, with, uh, with her just constantly fretting about whether to stay with him or not. And it's funny because this movie would absolutely not pass, uh, what's that test called? The Bechdel test. The Bechdel yeah, test. it definitely wouldn't. <laughs> Every That's single funny. scene revolves around her either being in, being in love with him or thinking about being in love with him or deciding whether to leave him or not. Yeah, or if they're not talking about guy, they're talking about... Uh, Roland and usually how much she doesn't like him yeah, yeah and even when they're like discussing the baby like they're still discussing it like within the context of who's going to take care of this kid Guy or Roland and so it's like right it's not it's really kind of funny in that way and it's also interesting how Denis sets up this character Roland who uh, basically comes into Madeline and her or, or to Genevieve in her mother's life and only is helpful and only is sweet, you know, but still as a viewer, you kind of hate him because he's like, you know, this rich dude. And, and I think that's a, it, it's a, it's a very French thing, you know, it's very, it's, it's almost yeah. capitalist. Well, I mean, there's, there's that, but there's also, I think Demi's, Demi's like very influenced by American films. Like, uh, uh I mean, we talk about influence a lot on here, but, like, he's influenced by, like, Gene Kelly musicals and, like, the Singing in the Rain kind of thing, especially for this. Um, And, but he does it in a very French way, but I think the character of Roland in this situation is meant to, like, play at contrast with Guy. Guy is super great. Right, everyone likes Guy because he's the young protagonist, and the young girl is supposed to marry the young protagonist. And people don't like Roland, but they don't really have a good reason to, other than he's rich. Like he's a sympathetic character. If you've watched Lola, you realize that like he's gone through the whole like dating an older woman thing, or dating an older significant other, and so like he's honestly kind of being nice to Genevieve, but. I'm, but nobody's going to watch it that way. And I think it's an interesting point that yeah. you made. Um, it's, a, it's a goofy little, it's a goofy little uh, love triangle. Yeah. Or is it, a, is it a square? Does the mother love Roland? That's the real The mother's question. the one who, who's super into Roland. Yeah. Um, 
And the mother very much wants her daughter to be in her image. Maybe that's why everyone hates Roland. Not because of Roland, but because the mom is like, yeah. you should date Roland. Yeah. And I think this movie, you can kind of see it as an escape from what was coming out at the time. These very dark films about war. and But in reality, it's a deeply depressing and uh, gut-wrenching film to watch because you're basically seeing the reality for a lot of people at the time is that even such a thing as basic and um, human as love isn't possible when, when it's war, when war is happening because there's just too many things in the way, you know. Um, um, you know, Genevieve's family can't afford not to go with the rich guy, guys away at war, and it just sort of uh, tears apart this this uh, traditional well relationship. yeah it's it's also kind of I mean there's a couple other like if we want to go from like a more political lens it's kind of it's funny that guy is like coming back from war and then sets up a gas station I think yeah. that's hilarious um, topical for US stuff at least um, but it's also like a lot of like dating I guess I would assume is about timing and like doing things at the right time and you just can't do that when one person's like on the other side of the Mediterranean right yeah. like um yeah this movie establishes very intense stakes that we can we get this more of this later that don't really exist in La yeah I mean well and maybe they don't exist in this movie either maybe the viewer just assumes that they exist like what are the stakes? The, a relationship that's lasted, as far as we know, two scenes breaks up. Yeah. But it's got the stakes of, like, a fairy tale because it's got, like, three chapters. It's taken... It takes itself very seriously, even though it looks ridiculous. Um, and so I think the viewer gets, like, enthralled and thinks, oh, my God, they have to be together kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas in La La Land, that might not be the case all the time. And another just aspect of Denis that I want to focus on for this movie is just the over-the-top nature that comes with everything. Even when Guy comes back from the war, as soon as he gets back, he finds out his mother has died and that his wife has left him and that he can't see his... Or his girlfriend, sorry. And that he can't see his child now because she's with another man. And everyone's treating him like shit, yeah. you know, because he's a veteran, and he just kind of ends up picking the girl who's around, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, the movie is a movie about love out of necessity, not necessarily, like, necessity for Genevieve and economic stability and having someone around to raise a kid, like, and having the money to do that, and for Guy, it's about, like, I don't think I can function as a human being if I'm all alone. So I'm going to date whoever's around. Uh, like, there's that. But, I mean, like, over-the-top nature of Demi, oh, my God. Like, the production value on this movie is insane. Um, they, the it's not melodramatic. No. Because it doesn't hang on these moments that are deeply, like, like intensely emotional. It moves on so quickly. It doesn't, it doesn't say, this is emotional. It says, look how cool this is, you know? Like, it, it, does that make sense? Like, I, there's this silly scene where, like, Genevieve is holding on to Guy, and they're clearly on a dolly moving. But you don't care how, like, much that takes you out of it. Um, like, because it's, like... Yeah, when you're dating someone, you are flying. That is what's happening. Um, and it's also like, it makes sense that it would happen in this movie. Whereas I think La La Land is like very much a movie about ridiculous things happening, presented in a real, like, realistic way. Big air quotes there. The ending is kind of surreal, and there's a lot of stuff yeah, like that. But they're going for, like, realism, kind of. More than this. More than this. Whereas Umbrellas is a movie about very serious things and the complications of being an adult and, you know, loving and stuff like that. Presented in a somewhat ridiculous fashion, but the, like, the -the over-the-top nature of it only shows how, like, 
broad the emotions in the movie are, I guess. Yeah. That's a very weird platitude to say, but I think it's true. And I guess another point we should hit on with Umbrellas is just how this movie could be, you could watch this movie so easily without the sound on, just with how stunningly it's put together. It's, it's kind of absurd. And I mean that, I guess in two ways, like absurd, like it's unrealistic, but also just because it's so ridiculously beautiful and the colors and the outfits and it's just honestly like what people what dreams are made of you know and i think that's sort of yeah i i agree it's um it's an outsider's view of like a sort of candy land it's, it's kind of funny though because i feel like it's almost how americans view europe a little bit you know this place with beautiful architecture and beautiful design and all that stuff I kind of viewed it the other way. I kind of viewed it as how Europeans might look at L.A., which, you know, ties into La La Land well, but, like, uh, it's this, like I keep saying, it's like a Technicolor Candyland. It's everything you could ever want. It's kind of like, it reminded me of Avatar, because, like, stopping and watching, like, after that movie ended, I was like, well, why do I have to go back into this world? I mean, like... I mean, it's far less cheesy than Avatar. It's yeah, yeah, but like, it's not uh, post Avatar depression. It's post Umbrellas of Sherberg depression, which makes yeah. a far less good acronym. But eh. it's funny though because Avatar, which is just absurd in the amount of money is put into the production design, honestly, feels less like is less entrancing than just the production design and costume design and shots in this movie which is all well, natural I'm, I'd be curious to know how much this movie cost yeah I'm gonna a little on the fly research here yeah can I guess I'm gonna guess okay go ahead you have to figure um let me find it a second I know a lot of lands high, really high budget movie um not because of special effects but because of just the choreography of everything, the amount of extras, the amount of time that they put in the shots, you know, how they would, and they did everything on, on site, a lot of the singing, a lot of the dancing, which would normally be done through ADR or, um, you know, at, like put in afterwards with people singing in the studio, they would just do out in the street in Long Land, like when they're actually shooting, which is really cool. Um, and it's just kind of masterfully put together. That's one of the strongest aspects of La La Land. Um, as I buy time for Sterling I can't find the budget I just can't do it where the no one has it I can find how much it made um it made at the box office like uh 7.6 million um but like I can't imagine the budget for this was very high um by today's standards yeah by by that standards it's probably yeah I I really doubt... And, like, the, compare this movie with, like, La La Land. Like, this movie has probably, based on... Like, the production design is great, but it, it also looks kind of cheap in a lot of places, right? It looks sure. like they went to a thrift store and got all the, the you know, the uh, furniture in these houses. And that might just be a consequence of being set in Europe. But also, like, this movie looks cheap, but it isn't um whereas la la land had a huge budget and it seems superficial which maybe is a good analog for la i mean you're from la so it's like i i hate to diss your hometown but it is a very like rich and artificial place in my it's, view uh something a little superficially put together yeah say. well um i think that la la land kind of are we going to go off the subject of umbrellas do you think um, sure. I mean, we can... So, I guess we'll transition to La La Land a little bit. Maybe we'll go back. All right. <laughs> later on. Um, I do have more thoughts on... Um, yeah, let's just, let's just continue talking about umbrellas and wool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We can edit this out. Uh, anyway. So, I think another aspect to uh, Umbrellas for Sherwood that's really important is... like, And this is part of the reason why I think you can say you can almost watch this without sound 
not that you should. The music's fucking fantastic. Um, but, and, and I mean, the, the dialogue's good too, I guess. But that's, that's second to the music, in my opinion. The reason why you can do that is because it's like a little fable, right? There's three parts to it. And, I mean, the main character's sort of a Goldilocks kind of, like, analog, I guess. The, sh- the shoe doesn't fit here, but it fits over here, so I'm going to go over it and do this option. But, like, it's it's dreamlike, which we've discussed. The, the cinematography and the production design is indulgent, but also, like, uh, it comes in parts. It's told like a little story. Yeah. Yeah, and especially, I, I mean, like, I really like breaking movies up into parts. I think it's it's really cool, and I think this movie executes it well. You know, on the screen, they have um, part one, the departure, part two, the absence, part three, the return. It's, it's beautifully simple. Yeah, um, but... Oh, and it has this... Um, sorry, go on. No, no, no. I, I think what's interesting with that, though, is, like, there's a space and time each time, right? And this movie jumps around time a lot, but you can still, like, you can see the through line of how the character is developed. Every time they're reintroduced, they are different, but you can see how they ended up there. It has unity in time and place, which I think is something that modern Hollywood really fucks up a lot, is this very simple principle of drama where, like, unity in time and unity in place are important, where things are occurring in places in almost the same place where it keeps the viewer... Um, like uh, keyed in and I think Marvel one of the biggest just deficiencies that Marvel faces is just jumping around the globe constantly and um, we're jumping into another country and there's an action scene we're jumping into another country and there's an action scene and I think that just makes their movies a lot worse and I think this is a good example of just showing both these movies are good examples of showing when you create a real um Stage a real like place for the movie to take part in. It, it it it's easier for the viewer to get engaged with that and feel like they're in the story world and they're not jumping around to different parts. Yeah, but I I'd, almost worry that if this movie was done now, you would you would follow a guy to the war and it would just yeah I really mean, muddle the, the like what they, what what they're going for. Yeah, I mean sort of the beauty of keeping a story in one place and I mean the opening shots of the movie are just umbrellas moving around on this town and then shots of the town itself before you even meet any of the characters because the town's its own character in this the point of having one location or at least limiting the amount of places that you go in a story is that when characters return to that place or leave that place or you jump forward and back in time within the same place you can see the characters change. Like when Guy comes back from the war, he's not the same character. Right. And his motivations are not the same. When there's the jump in time of like, I think two years in the middle of the movie, while Guy is still at war, but Genevieve has gone from the girl who wants to go to the movies to the girl who is pregnant kind of thing. Or that's not a two year jump then. But like point being, yeah. um, you can see the characters change, but the choices that they make in between are kind of absent. And I think that's really cool because it's like the location is almost recontextualizing the characters and their yeah. situation. And I think that's, that's an amazing point. And I think it's something that gets lost in a lot of modern film where you, it's too, the character development is too expository. It's too much like I'm telling this person how I'm changing I'm talking about, oh, this is me changing. And this movie, what's so beautiful is it's just you're seeing it and time's passing and the situation is changing and they're changing with it. Yeah, and maybe that's a more effective like storytelling point because like people don't like I don't I don't know about you, I don't know about most people, but like I don't think most people like actively psychoanalyze themselves on a regular basis and like make choices about the choices that they make if that makes sense like they don't you don't 
see you don't explain yourself going by in time it just kind of happens to you that's why people are always like time goes by fast kind of thing yeah. like it's not time isn't something that you like get to choose when you have character development I mean you kind of can but like it's just something that happens along the way yeah and so I think storytelling where you see the characters change you don't know exactly what's going on in their head but you can infer it is better than just like I am going to have a soliloquy about what's going to happen and not to diss Shakespeare but like yeah don't do that <laughs> yeah it's funny how Shakespeare this is a whole other it's funny how Shakespeare creates a lot of the worlds of drama yeah that's true um, is, yeah we, well, well that's what, good old Billy um, the thing about Shakespeare and the reason he gets away with it theater is a different medium and I think in theater you can kind of do these things a little bit more um, and obviously the quality of writing isn't going to be replicated <laughs> like you're not like oh I'll just do what Shakespeare does that makes a lot of sense this is not doesn't really it doesn't translate it doesn't well translate. Um, although this movie is like Sherbert is very much a uh, I mean it feels ripped from the stage and it's almost funny because later on they've done stage adaptations of it. Yeah. So, I mean. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about just the cinematography, which in this movie is unreal, how beautiful it is. I mean, he, uh, there's a scene where Guy is getting on the train and he gets his one foot on the train. He's in the fork. It just gets every cinematography like note this shot because he's in the foreground and to the left and he's the train starts leaving the shots going with him and the space between them is just expanding and it just becomes like a motif for the whole film where they just get farther and farther apart until they're not together anymore and you're just seeing this like great depth of field well and then she starts walking the other direction too like the camera stays there after the train has gone by with him and she starts walking the other direction so it's like yeah well shit you know Um, it's just beautifully done I agree and he uses very simple shot sequences of like setup like there's a million shots where it's like setup of them in their umbrella store <laughs> the mailman walks in mailman walks in like 20 times <laughs> he's my favorite character in the whole movie <laughs> I love him so much yeah um, yeah and then they just cut in close and they just do like setup medium close setup medium close and they have these just amazing shots up close into the center I think that Honestly, like, even if you don't watch this movie, people should just look up the stills from it. Just look up the movie on Google Images, and you can just see, like, how unreal some of these shots are, and how how masterful he is as a filmmaker. Also, the poster design is is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I figured you, as a person with knowledge on music, could talk a little bit about the score and stuff, and what you noticed from that. Well, so this follows a lot of the rules of, like, a theater score. Um, For a lot of, like, it has musical motifs that get repeated, like, multiple times throughout the song, or throughout the movie, pardon me. Um, And it's it's really good, and then other times it'll try and... Like, I was kind of taken aback, because, like, this whole movie is sung. So, like, part part of the thing that you have to do when you do that in music is you have to, like, all of the... You can't just have the dialogue be the same note over and over again. You can't be, like, in a monotone over the music right, singing. Right, singing, yeah. So what it ends up sounding more like isn't necessarily a melody. Like, there are the melody parts where it's, like, singing, like, the songs... the Singing the lyrics over the motifs that run through the movie... But there are other scenes, like really fast-paced scenes, when the music starts to go into like a shuffle or a swing, and the uh, like the lyrics are sung almost like a scat solo over the top of it, or like an like a actual musical solo. There isn't like one melody that they are singing over and over again. It's very much like a like just playing notes over melody. It's like improvising in jazz. And I mean, that makes sense, especially in the scenes where they're like having a conversation that they would like, like, 
like jazz is a very conversational music so like there's this thing in jazz where it's called like trading eight bars four bars kind of thing where somebody will improvise over four bars of music and then the next person will improvise over four bars of music and usually they like have a little bit of a conversation between the two one of them will like start in the lower register the other one will start in the higher register one of them will say something and then the next person will repeat the same notes kind of thing and you get that vibe in a lot of the scenes in this movie which is like um, kind of amazing that they were able to do that um, I mean musicians say it all the time it's super cliche but like music is life so like in a metaphorical sense so it makes sense that they would sing the whole time and that the way that they would sing would reflect what they're doing like having a conversation which I thought was cool anyway alright I guess we should move on to La La Land yes um this you book. can open with your thoughts on my city if you want yeah, I'm just going to insult open. L.A. for like three minutes. Hold on. Um, no, I love L.A. Or LA's... you could open with your thoughts on overall. I think... Okay. L.A. I have relatives who live in Long Beach, so I go there somewhat regularly. Is it a city of dreams, city of stars kind of place? Yes. Everyone goes to L.A., seeking their fortune it's kind of like going west in a way which is kind of the quintessential american thing it's really interesting i think it's really cool it's maybe the most american city in the world like forget new york i think la is the most accurate representation of america as a country and so with that goes a lot of good things but it also comes a lot of bad la is full of creative people some of the best movies in the world have come out of there. Blah, 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 blah. It's a cool city. Um, that said, there is immense like monetary inequality in L.A. from a political sense. There's also like immense... Uh, like, there's sort of a superficial nature to L.A. where... A lot of money gets thrown into everything. And how do you think the... Hold on. What does it say? I have no clue. Is it still running? It is still running. Okay. Just cut that out. A whole lot of money gets thrown into everything in LA. And then it like kind of goes to waste um, in a sense. It's also very romantic about itself. Everyone from LA says that LA is great. Uh, which is interesting Um, because like I'm from Kansas City I think Kansas City's alright you know Um, but there's a certain level of I cannot take this seriously because it's so over the top it's so artificial like there's the saying that like people on the east coast will be mean to you while they help you, but LA people will be nice to you while they fuck you over, kind of thing. And how do you guys portray it in the film? Well, so in this film, the the characters are super, super surface level. Like people, I've heard people talk about this film, like the characters. Also this question with another question, which is um, just how, like, what's your perception of how LA was put out in the film? And also, do you think that there is some self-acknowledgement in the character development to be like LA people, LA people, or people trying to make it as actors? Yeah, so I think this movie is trying very much to be self-conscious. And maybe I'm just misunderstanding it. Like, this movie is obviously setting up, especially the girls that Mia lives with, and kind of Mia herself at the beginning of the movie as like, just pretty girls who want to make it rich kind of thing now of course Mia is the sort of pick me girl so they're like setting her up as like oh I'm more than that I actually like movies like you know like Casablanca and it's like um, it's like okay it's cool that there's a big poster of Ingrid Bergman but 
I cannot in my mind think of you differently than the other girls that you live with because I know how these people work in real life. They also have this thing, like they romanticize movies a good bit because, you know, they're going to do that. But they also, and I took this as a personal affront, romanticize jazz way too much where they're like, like he describes how jazz works in the most like romanticized, inaccurate way ever. Because it's like, this is something that you know, comes from the heart, blah, 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 blah. And it's a dying art form. Like, there's this trope that jazz is a dying art form. And yes, it gets listened to a lot less. But like, it's not. Millions of people still listen and play jazz. And there's... Like, he also embodies this sort of, like, Puritan ideal in jazz, which most jazz musicians don't do. Um, he also misunderstands what, like, going forward in jazz means. Uh, there's a lot of romanticization of life that is seemingly inaccurate, in my view. And I just think La La Land... It romanticizes everything in a super ungenuine way that kind of misses the point. You know, like, so when I think about LA, like, obviously, as someone from there, like, I definitely agree with your stereotype when everyone who's from LA thinks it's the best. Because um, I, like, just smile when I think about it. <laughs> like, it makes me so happy. Um, but, I, and I think... So I watched Sex and the City last night, and mm-hmm. I watched the Sex and the City on LA, and yeah. honestly, the tropes and the jokes about it were so much funnier and in tune with the, what the culture is actually like than La La Land, which I feel like is creating this so superficial, but not connected to anything real. Like in Umbrellas of Sherberg, everything is so like brought up, so superficial, but it's connected to this deeply like intense real thing it's really connected to love and what love takes and what you get out of love and La La Land I feel like doesn't have that backing where it's like if you think about it um Ryan Gosling he loves jazz and he's mansplaining jazz to her but it's also just deeply weird because jazz you know was sort of uh taken by like white people and brought up by white people and it just like feels weird to me that you're mansplaining to her and also it's just so over the top when he's like when she's like oh yeah I don't like Daft Jazz and he like loses his mind and I'm just like what are we going for here like what is this movie what is this movie trying to say beyond like we're gonna have pretty colors and they're gonna become famous and stuff I don't I don't really know like yeah I mean I think I think it's a movie trying to be self-conscious like it's trying to say like LA is this superficial place and that the actual genuine things to do aren't to like follow your dreams of fame they're to follow your dreams of either falling in love with someone who has goals or following uh, like achieving those goals not taking the greatest uh, opportunity if that makes sense yeah like the ending there, the ending is the best part of the movie. I spent three-fourths of this movie like, wow, they don't understand how music works. For a movie about jazz, the music in this is bad, and most of the like music is just orchestral shit that they dance over. Um, yeah. And then the, like... But the ending is, like, pretty good. It's not cry-worthy, because I'm not invested in the characters for, like, three-fourths of the movie... But the ending's good. It's like, don't... The opportunities that are big that like you can go for, like fame and whatnot, aren't going to do as much for you as like achieving small little goals of like, I want to own a jazz club and play jazz. And I want to do this theater production because I want to, not because anyone else wants me to kind of thing. Yeah, it, that's the thing where her art doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Because she's going for this, like, 
she doesn't want to be doing, she doesn't want to be in those rooms where she's trying to impress somebody that isn't impressed by her. She wants to do it for herself. And at the end of the day, she fails at her own personal dream and then just kind of somehow ends up as a celebrity. And it's like, that wasn't really what she was going for. And I think the reason the ending is so good is because it hits on what makes Umbrellas and Sherbert such a uniquely beautiful movie, which is the loss, the being so close to something that you love that you can't have. Yeah. And they hit it once, they hit it that one beat at the end, but they don't do it in other areas, and I think it's just sort of poor filmmaking. Um, and there's too many, the, the, it's just too uh, Hollywood. That's like yeah, I, I mean, like, and there's like a certain charm to that. Like the the production design of this movie, like it can't be denied, yeah, is fantastic. Like, the dancing, the dance, scenes. the dancing scenes are good, minus the music. In my personal <laughs> humble opinion, well, I mean, from a story perspective, they're pretty unique. Yeah, you know? from a story perspective, those like, I can't really speak to how good the music is, like on that level, but from just like a unique way to tell a story perspective they're definitely there especially at the time because this movie sort of brought back an anomaly yeah discussion um yeah my uh, the production design is truly stunning like for a movie that looks this good the story is the thing that is lackluster and I feel like like, this movie is directly influenced by Aurelius of Sherbert, and it reads across. But it doesn't read like taking a theme and moving on with it. It reads as bright colors in the cinematography, in the mise en scene, and, uh, you know, whooshy kind of cinematography that, like, moves along with its characters a lot. But also, it just rips the movie, like, Umbrella's beat for beat from a plot perspective like uh, Ryan Gosling is Guy for lack of a better term Guy goes off to war Gosling goes off to tour yeah and Um, the emotional stakes aren't there because Guy goes off to war you know where he could die Ryan Gosling goes off to make a lot of money and I'm like okay I guess I feel kind of bad that you can't achieve your dream, which I don't really feel that bad about it because achieving a dream, I'm not going to feel, I'm not going to feel really sorry for someone who is successful, doesn't, but doesn't achieve like their hundredth percentile dream, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, and I'm not going to feel good, like, I'm not going to feel bad for someone who like obviously sold out for money either. Like, I'm not going to, I'm just not... But um, that's fine. But I'm, it doesn't make me empathetic. No, it... Like, empathetic. I don't know. On, on top of that, on top of that, though, like... This... Like, they also, like, rip other plot points. Like, Mia in uh, La La Land marries... Who the fuck is this guy? He looks rich, probably an actor. Yeah. Because of... Necessity, like, I like I. She gives up on our dreams, like the character in Sherberg, but also like. We don't, like. Whereas Roland is an actual character, to some extent. This guy that she marries doesn't even have a name, and then there's the whole like them seeing each other again scene, which is mirrored in both movies. it's a movie about necessity over dreams, but I, I guess it moves the theme forward in the um, both. Actually, it just rips it completely. Not it doesn't. I was gonna say that it says that like you should follow your dreams instead of the necessity of either economic or uh, love interests, which would be like Sherbrooke, like guy marrying whoever's around, and Genevieve marrying economically viable match. In this movie. Mia marries the economically viable match, if you, I guess, and uh, Gosling's character Sebastian. Why the fuck did they name him that? <laughs> has yeah, his jazz other. has his jazz club. So it's like 
they they each kind of achieve their dreams in La La Land, but they regret it. Whereas in Umbrellas of Cherbourg, neither of them achieve their dreams, but they are upset about it, which yeah. is like which makes sense. They, they, so I guess it's like moving the theme forward, but it's also like I mean they realize that they miss the version of themselves and they could just have fun and be young and stuff like that. Yeah. But maybe, okay, I this is, I'm just kind of like a cynical person in general, but I think it would have been stronger to show the, to like hit on that note stronger that sometimes your dreams aren't what they seem. Because I don't know if that note really gets hit. Because they seem that they, they, they are happy, I guess. I don't know. It's... They're happy in both situations, but they're like, could have been happier. I think... They the... learn the reality. Okay, so both movies are about learning the realities of life. But on Umbrellas, it's more realistic because it's like, I need to marry this guy to survive. And Guy got back from war and needs a wife to like have kids and build like, build like a family. And in, in, in La La Land... He goes from unsuccessful artist, but clearly with like some privilege because he lives in a nice place and stuff, to a successful artist, but unhappy, and then just starts a club. And she goes from someone who's like his parents were supporting her and was sort of like not working out as an actor, and then she put on a play, and then she became a super famous actress. It's like they're, they're never in enough peril where I really felt bad for them. I never felt like they're actually in a really tough situation, right? This empathetic. It's just like, you go to LA, you know, you're not a great actress, that was your dream, and that's it, and you move on. Like, I wouldn't feel bad. If someone told me that happened to them, I wouldn't feel bad for them because it's just like a life experience. Well, it's just an LA thing. It's just an LA thing, yeah. Um, which is what they're really missing, which is the fact that people come to LA, they move for their dreams, and they fail. Yeah. Pretty much most of the time. Well, and... There's also this idea, like, in Cherbourg, like, they're lamenting a lost love kind of thing. And in La La Land, they're also lamenting a lost love. But kind of the difference between the two is in La La Land, you get the ending where you get to see their, like, if they had married, right? And I think that they're looking at that through, like, very rose-tinted glasses, right? Like, they're very much, like, oh, things would be fucking fantastic if we got married, right? We'd both still have done all of these great things, but we would have dated someone that we liked. And it didn't make sense to me that they broke up. Like, I understand it because the story necessitated it and that, like, it, they have to have a lamented lost love thing. But I don't, like, I don't know what that adds. Other than a really cool set piece, like the ending. And is honestly, really if I think about it from a story perspective, the ending of Umbrellas is stronger because they look at each other, and it's just like you, as the viewer, are filling it in your head. You're like, oh my god, he like, there are these loves. They haven't seen each other since the war. And now they're seeing each other again. It's just really powerful moment. And all in, Damien just hits you with exposition. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just like, here, don't do any thinking, viewer. I'll just I'll just tell you everything that's going to happen. And then you're kind of like, this is a beautiful scene. But if you think about it, if it was really, if the production was really poorly put together, you'd probably think, oh, this is terrible. Because it doesn't really add anything to the story. Yeah, but the production is really good. That is yeah. an objective. Well, I'm not going to deny that. Yeah, that's a cool just set. Just because the production is good doesn't make it. It doesn't make the movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I think another thing with this movie that really limits like to be clear I liked La La Land it was a pretty yeah, alright movie I and mean, there's funny beats yeah there's funny beats it's fun to look at and I kind of see what they're going with it's like jazz here <laughs> here's my analogy jazz is about um, there's this thing in jazz it's really funny like if somebody messes up their solo you have to say I kind of see what you were trying to do there right and I can do that with this movie. Like, I can, I can see what they were trying to do. And I admire the effort. 
but I cannot connect with these characters for a multitude of reasons. One of the which is they always, 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 always talk in a monotone. And I don't know if that's them ripping off like '40s movies, but they are talking in a monotone for like. Maybe they end up singing. Like, well, their singing isn't dynamic, but that's its own problem. But like when they're talking to each other, like. Except for, like, the one scene where he's like, what the fuck are you go doing? Go do the audition. Like, nobody's, like... They're, they're, they're very... There's this style of 40s acting where all of the sound, if you were to wave it out, it would just be a flat line, right? Like, they're talking, and there's no, like, I'm not getting louder, or I'm not getting softer... I'm just here forever and ever and ever. And maybe that's a more natural form of talking, but also like... I think it's just... Well, I do think that them being such great actors helps the movie. Like, Emma, like, Emma Stone just, like, has such a good natural um, feel. Like, her expressions are so natural and stuff. Helps a lot. And she's a really good actor. It's, the acting is really good. Um, well, she won Best Actress for this, didn't she? Yeah. Or was that a whole controversy? I, I don't know. remember. But, anyway, they did a good job, and I think that helps a lot. Um, but I do kind of agree. They're, sometimes they're on different planes, I guess, a little bit, with like how they're speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the jokes... <sighs> <laughs> I think that's, that's the general feeling for this movie is... It is a little cringy, honestly. It's just like... The yeah. L.A. stereotypes, everyone's heard a million times. Yeah, and I repeated them on par. They're in a big house. They're at the party. It's like... Yeah, it's like... Okay. I've seen this before. Um, and... Also, I don't think they really like... As someone who knows a lot of people who uh, are trying to like make it as actors and actresses... They really like glamorize her like coming up, you know, doing all these yeah. auditions. Like she's seeing a bunch of people like them, but in reality, like she never really talks about her passion for acting, and she never really practices. You know, it doesn't seem. It seems like she just wants success. Well, and that's but she hasn't really put a lot into it, which doesn't make me feel bad for her. That's also where I'm at with the Ryan Gosling character. Because, like, anything that he played in the movie... Number one, Ryan Gosling learned piano in three months to do this movie. Which, you know, kudos to him. But, like, what it sounded like... I I looked at... Because I heard that figure. It was, like, three months to learn how to play piano? What? You know, like, what the fuck? Um, And if... I figured out that everything that he plays was written down for him to play it wasn't improvised stuff is like the comping isn't really improvised and I I would wonder how many takes it took them to get the music scenes right with him playing Um, but the best music in this movie is the parts where he is not playing and it's the little intro like intros to the scene where they're like walking into a room and the band is playing and then they start talking and the band stops playing for a little bit like that's the best music in the whole fucking movie it's because they hired professionals to play the music and also also like you don't see Ryan Gosling's character practice really you you do for like 30 seconds at the beginning of the movie he puts on a track and he like tries to play along with it right number one number one nobody fucking does that with a record anymore it's just like they think that musicians, especially in jazz, don't adapt to things, right? Like, the type of jazz that they play in the movie is not innovative. Like, it's very bog-standard jazz, which everyone learns how to play in, like, high school and college, right? These are professionals. They're going to be playing crazy shit. Um, but this movie... This movie romanticizes both of the subject matter it's talking about. Movies and music. Right? And it doesn't... You can have... It doesn't connect Well, so, like, it romanticizes everything. But it also goes... This is the real problem. 
I'm fine if it romanticizes things and it's like singing in the rain, right? Yeah. Where it's clearly you're supposed to like sustain your disbelief. This movie tries to be realistic, but it falls short because it well, doesn't. It just go, goes way back and forth. It swings. Yeah, it swings wildly. Like we're dancing and going to the air in the planetarium to just completely normal, just like restaurants, rooms, and stuff like that. Yeah, and. The, the problem is it keeps it keeps the romance but it goes to a realistic location or it keeps the romance but it goes to sort of a like it keeps the rose tinted glasses but it, it's looking at an atrocity kind of thing like you can't you can't do that and have it come off as anything but artificial yeah. um I don't know. Like, I think we've gone around in circles. For Maybe it's too long. Yeah. That's another sh- issue. With it. it should be a short film. It should just um, be that last third act. <laughs> yeah. Well, Umbrellas just like skips all this exposition. It's like. Well, it skips. She, like they meet, they go on a date, and the next scene she's like, "Oh, I'm in love with them." That whole movie is character development. Like the whole movie is. You don't. Well, man, you don't have, see the character. All this extra stuff. Like she has a boyfriend at first. She's not in Gotham. And then well, and that, like, and falls off, too. She has a boyfriend, but, like, whatever happened to him, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, it's not... They add plot beats that aren't necessary to yeah. fill the space of a musical. Um, I'm amazed that this movie won Oscars. I mean, I can understand production design, but, like... It's it's completely carried by the staff, or the... the the actors. The actors. The actors are good. And the actors are good, and the production design's good, and the cinematography's good. It's a whole lot of production, like not just value, but like really good work. Resting on around a, just a bad script. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. like the script really is what does it. Um, I mean, yeah, that's. And it's, it's not like the shots are bad. It's not like yeah. it's a terror. Like I've seen worse scripts, but at I mean, the same, not, yeah, it's not. It's, it's just not achieving what it's aiming like it, it I guess the real disappointment with this movie is that like it aimed really really high and because it romanticizes too much it falls really short on yeah. that um, and I mean if we get into some of we have disagreements about this movie that just for me like when I go into some other other some other Demi Chazelle movies like Whiplash which I think is an outstanding movie and I think the character development in that movie is... Today we have a little about the music, you know, but the character development in that movie is a lot stronger because I feel way more connected to his arc and I actually can feel bad for him because he wants success so bad and he's just being abused by his teacher. And for anybody who doesn't know, Whiplash is a movie about a... Uh, a um, Smiles Teller, he's like a, jazz, he's like a jazz student at yeah. this really competitive university. Um... And it's like Black Swan, but for jazz. Yeah, and it's the like the high up teacher lets him into his advanced class and just treats him like shit and all this stuff. But you actually feel really bad for him because he wants it so bad. And he's putting all this work in, and he's just kind of getting led down a, a false, yeah, false dream, and, and it's just really powerful. Um, and I don't feel that with these characters in La Land. I personally, not only don't feel bad for them, I don't really care if they succeed. I think that they're incredibly just kind of out of touch and privileged to begin with. I don't, the thing is like, I don't ever, there's no, there's no stakes because if she's unsuccessful, she just moves back home and gets a normal job and that's fine. I'm not going to feel bad for someone like for that. Yeah. And if for him, if like at the beginning, he like won't play like the Christmas music at the, yeah, the thing. And it's like, you know, it's not your dream, but if that's your living, I'm not going to feel bad for that. Like, I'm well, not gonna, then, like, 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 I'm not going to... That's what musicians do. Yeah. He's, he's complaining... That's a, but that's a he's good... He's complaining about doing a thing that people dream about doing. And it's like... And they even say that points in the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really funny because it's like... Musicians. And even she. She is complaining about doing things that people dream of doing. A lot of people would love to go to LA and hang out and act 
Yeah. Or it just or can't it, do it because they don't have the certain. They're not. They don't have like money to go do it. They need to like pay off their debt. All this stuff. It doesn't commit. The movie is uses a lens of superficiality and everything to cover up for the fact that it doesn't actually connect to anything real, which Umbrellas absolutely does. It connects to a very real experience for a lot of people. Yeah, and it, well, and it its level of superficiality only comes in in certain parts. And in other parts, it takes itself deadly seriously, and it's very realistic. Like, the dialogue between the two characters, it goes from, like, a hardcore, like, romance drama to, like, dancing in the fucking sky. And I'm like, okay, pick a tone. Because, like, like, singing in the rain. This movie is heavily influenced by Umbrellas of Sherberg, but is also heavily influenced by other Demi movies, like Young Girls of Rochefort. And like 40s musicals like Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain, you're it's goofy the whole time. Like it's not meant to be taken seriously. Even when the characters are like talking to each other about the stakes of the movie, it's not like meant to be taken seriously. Whereas this movie is meant to be that kind of surreal, sustain your disbelief, like kind of, you know, musical. But it's talking about, like, not, like... It's talking about serious things in an unserious way. Yeah. Well, what do you think your favorite scene was from each movie, I guess? Um, Brothers of Cherbourg. Or, yeah. I, um, I really, 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 really like the uh, scene with... The, uh, like, there's a really, like, you could just say this no scene at the end of the movie, and that'd be great. It's a great scene. But there's a scene where she's, like, discussing her being pregnant in the little shop, and they're, like, going around the rooms, and they're, like, we gotta figure something out, and, like, I don't know. That's long, right? yeah. yeah. And that's, you can, the actress there is doing a really good job of like you can see that she's making a decision in her head during the scene she's going around the room she looks flustered she's making a decision whether to marry Roland or Guy and you can just see it in how she acts and that's something that like is really impressive especially Mm -hmm. while you're singing what is effectively swing jazz about being pregnant um, like, it's really cool that they can do that and just a little passing scene that gives the movie stakes, right? Um, as for La La Land, the ending, just, I mean, forget them looking at each other whimsically in the fucking, uh, at the very, very end, but, like, she goes into the bar and then from that point, he starts playing the piano from that point until the very end. Quality, quality filmmaking. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, David Giselle is a good filmmaker. Don't get me wrong. He really knows what he's doing. He just kind of got led astray with the script. That's mine. Well, and I mean, again, it's not a bad movie. No. It's just not what it. It isn't could a have been. Sherberg, It's not what it could have been. Which is kind of an unfair standard. Yeah, it's not but, what it's aiming. Like, if this movie was like successful and didn't win the Oscars, and it was just like whatever then I'd be like this is a good movie you know and I still think it's a good movie but it's like the hype it got over so many other movies which are just better it's kind of it's, it's ridiculous yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think uh, my favorite scene in La Land is probably when it's on the bridge or not the, the pier oh yeah that's a really really beautiful scene and just the film like look is just incredible there that's um, true and then umbrellas. Honestly, the very beginning when it's raining and everyone's walking around, and you see the rain falling at the umbrellas, and the title card comes in, and it's just like really sets you up for the movie. Well, have you seen a Star Is Born? I have not. I avoided it for similar reasons to my avoidance of La La Land. It's, it's really good. I like it. Is Star Is Born? We should have compared a Star Is Born to La La Land. Well, it, the, there's no different, but I feel like a Star Is Born is connecting at least to something more real. Ish. Ish. 
I don't know. Be interested to see. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'll watch it. It's a it's an intense one. It's really intense. Some of the music in it is is pretty bad, but some of it's good. That's fair. Shall we cut it off? Yeah. I think so. Thank um, you all for listening. Uh, yeah. And uh, our next show will be on Ivan's childhood and Top Gun. Yeah, we're going to talk about <laughs> war. Talk about how war is uh, is uh, perceived in the media. I have a feeling we're going to have a, a similar discussion. Yeah, I, I feel like that's... I don't, I've never Actually, seen Top Gun because I'm sort of morally opposed to these kind of movies yeah propaganda films are fun unless they're Russian Russian propaganda films are really good American ones I don't know Um, anyway thank you all for listening we'll see you in the next episode bye city of stars are you shining just for There's so much that I can't see Who knows I felt it from the first embrace I shared with you Two people from Harvard, right? That's why it's so bad. That's so that's why.